Hey, are you looking to evolve to a higher level of existence? To practically harness spirituality and personal growth in a crazy, busy, imperfect world? Then you've come to the right place. My name is Prash and this is Urban Spirituality, the show which fuses ancient wisdom with contemporary spiritual practices to deliver value-adding tools, traits, and insights to help you live your fullest potential. We always keep it real, featuring authentic, unfiltered dialogue with guests from diverse backgrounds to inspire, entertain, and enlighten all who listen. So get ready for your dose of urban spirituality. Be present and let's dive in. Our guest today is a Danish-born ex-Pentagon hacker who was one of the minds behind WikiLeaks, who went on to become a famous, or perhaps I should say infamous, international traveling monk and the force behind the infectious Ask a Monk project for nearly a decade, impacting tens of thousands of lives around the world. Today, he uses his diverse insights and eclectic training methods, weaving ancient philosophies and business psychology to help organizations and individuals navigate complex situations, improve performance and achieve excellence. Wow, what a mouthful. I'm going to say no more other than put your hands together for the very interesting Klaus Nielsen. (laughs) Thank you, Prash, and thank you for having me on the show. I'm very happy to be here. Klaus, you're very welcome. And in fact, it's the pleasure is mine because I have one burning question that's on my brain at the moment. Go. You are a monk. You're a monk for so long. You've lived on the streets. You've lived in monasteries. You gave up everything for the pursuit of something much higher. What on earth led you on a journey to give up all that beautiful stuff and your beautiful hair? (laughs) Well, yeah. And it's funny because I'm originally from Denmark. And very often we hear that Denmark is supposed to be the happiest country in the world, right? So what on earth would would, uh, motivate me to do something like that? Well... Actually, from way back, like my first memories of like when I was three, four years old, I can remember, so, like when you're that age, you don't think very specific thoughts. Your language is not very developed. But I was thinking there's something missing here. There's something wrong. I was looking at the world and, and I was wondering, what, what am I doing here? Um, now, for most I think as as we grow up, we kind of ease into it, but that somehow didn't happen to me. So as I grow up and I become older, I try all sorts of things to be happy. You know, I try the girls, I try the job and the money, and I try drugs, I try art. And at the end of it, I was looking at the whole thing and I concluded, wait a minute, there's nothing here that would actually make me happy. Now... When I say that, it's not that there was not happiness. There, there is happiness, but comparatively to, to the amount of work I had to do to get it, hmm. it wasn't working. Like long term, I could see this is not going to work. So then depression set in, because then what is there, right? But that doesn't work either, right? No, obviously, it doesn't. So... I woke up one day, and I'm not sure exactly how it came about or what what actually uh, prompted it. Right. But I looked at my my place I lived, and I concluded these things that I've surrounded myself with. Right. I don't own them. They own me. 
What a powerful... How old were you when you had that perception? That was in my late 20s. In your late that. 20s. And, and let me get this right. I mean, you didn't come from a childhood that was broken. You actually had a comfortable... Oh, yeah. Comfortable, comfortable upbringing. Yeah. Good education. Right. Good facilities in life. Absolutely. And by your 20s, you actually had a, a nice living space. You had the luxuries, if you can call it that, that any modern person in the Western world can want. Yeah. And I, still, you had this perception. Uh, this yeah. very interesting perception that all these things, they own you. Yeah. Um, I was... Uh... At the early stage in, in my life, I was uh, in, a, in a potentially quite lucrative career in, in media and video games at a time where the video games industry was not mature yet. It was growing exponentially. So it was like I got in at, at ground level, so I could have actually been right. quite, wealthy quite wealthy now. And, and what we were doing was above industry, industry standards. So, but but it, was, it was a lot of crunch time. You know, like like you're doing projects, and when you have to finish those projects, you're you're working like crazy. Right. And and then what happens is that you kind of uh, you need a release for that. So when you're when you're finally off the clock, yeah, you go like, drinking. Of course. Right? So what else are you gonna do, right? Exactly. You finish just to get it off your mind. Your pressure valve, right? And then you wake up dehydrated, and oh, now I have to get yeah. into it again. Um, and and you know what money you get used to it real quick you know it's not like like and it's the same with anything material if you have a nice car the first week you have it it's nice but then from then on it's just your car right so i was looking at it this is not it, it's actually uh, depreciating real quick so that's what 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 led me to this conclusion that no if i look long term here this is not going to work. This is going to make me frustrated, not happy, right? That's funny you say that. I've got to interject here because a lot of people, when they come to that point, because everybody, I think, at some stage of their life or other, faces that, that, that feeling of indifference or boredom or stagnation in the acquisitions or even the people that they have. But most people... Sadly, just think that they just got to go and change it for another thing. That's go change it for another good. Change mm -hmm. that boyfriend or girlfriend mm -hmm. or wife mm -hmm. for another person mm -hmm. and they'll be happier. But you, you didn't do that, it seems. Uh, no, I didn't. Like, first, just carrying on with what you're saying. Like, we used to call it a, a, a midlife crisis, right? When you, when you hit, like, 50, you figure out, wait a minute. What what am I at? Where am I going with this? And then you get a tattoo and a Harley Davidson or something. <laughs> Brilliant. But, yeah. but now we have this term that's very prominent called quarter life crisis because we live in an accelerating culture. So now already at twenty five we start having these thoughts. <laughs> where am I actually going with this? Right. So no. Yeah. And usually yeah you ex you change it for something else like the tattoo and the Harley Davidson. But but for for some reason. I, and I cannot actually tell you how or why. I don't consider it. It was not. My, it's not because I'm particularly intelligent or anything. I just. I would. I had this epiphany that no, the whole thing is messed up actually. And so the only thing I knew what to do was okay, renounce it all. Just I. I literally gave away everything I had. I didn't sell it. I gave it away. You gave it away. I gave it away first to friends and family and whatever they didn't want. I gave to charity. 
And how old were you this time? In this was around 30? Yeah, early 30s. Okay. Um, and I was left with two bags. And, and I went traveling. It was like as I was giving away these things, it was so funny because initially it was very difficult. Every single thing, it yeah. feels like a part of me. That, right. But then as I, as I continued giving more and more away, it became more and more enjoyable. And it felt like a weight was lifting off my shoulders. I became more and more liberated, you might, might even say. And so I was actually kind of disappointed when I didn't have anything left. Because yeah. just because... The not, feeling of giving up. Yeah, it was, was like a good, good, it was a good feeling. Good cleaning, yeah, right? Yeah, it was. And I, and I found out I'm not going to miss any of this. And I never had. There's not. You know, it's funny. Um, I, I've had some friends who experienced um, some shamanic, shamanic medi uh, medication recently. Uh -huh. Herbs and so forth. Sure. And one of the principal... Um, axioms of shamanic medicine is the importance of purging and that you know whatever is out is better out than in yeah. and the amount of people who related to me their joy of mm. vomiting mm. Uh, or, 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 or excreting yeah. and I'm getting into details but I, really yeah. the visceral happiness that people got once they had released it from their system was amazing yeah. and I guess in some sense you were purging yeah. you were getting rid of that which was you know, not yes. serving you. That yes. was yeah. weighing yeah. you down. Yeah, it was weighing my, weighing me down, and and there was it, like when I finally I gave up the final last thing was my apartment where I lived, and I was free. I could go wherever I wanted, and by some arrangement, I end up in rural India. Rural and, India. Uh, yeah, uh, West Bengal. And, uh, okay, tell us about that. This is yeah. a journey. <laughs> this is a journey. I actually first I went to Barcelona okay. and just like lived on the beach at day and, and played music at night. I was okay. a DJ by that time. Fantastic. And, and it was it from was, a hacker to a DJ. I, I like this. Yes. So so. No, from yeah. a hacker to a recluse to a DJ. You could say that. Still I, a recluse. I I yeah. I had my teenage years as like an international hacking society. I was I, I was part of. And uh, I, I think that because I always had this idea that, that the world is somehow broken, I tried to hack it. But, but as I started traveling, first Barcelona, then England, and then I ended up in rural India, and, and someone took me to this like uh, ancient boarding school that functions after like ancient principles from thousands of years ago that works very much on, on sense control, self-control and renunciation. And, so like and a spiritual very university yeah, yeah. kind of you could say yeah yeah uh, very introspective and very much built on service you have if you want to be happy you have to be of service to the world don't mm. try to enjoy the world act in such a way that the world enjoys you then like you have that. a purpose and that is purpose makes you happy enjoyment doesn't make you happy because how many pieces of cake can you eat but having a purpose and, and when the surroundings enjoy your presence, that makes us fulfilled, right? And so I met this guru there who was talking and there's a funny thing. He comes in and he starts talking. He's Caucasian. He starts talking English with an American accent. Turns out he took, took pretty much a similar uh, journey as, as mine just 40 years earlier and, and has now been there for so many years. And so I started to study under him. Right. Uh, I listened to him for five minutes and I knew this is why I never fitted in because I was meant to be here right now. 
and, and somehow the world, the, the universe just conspired to push me there. In that it, direction. Yeah, it was definitely not by my own design. Landing in India was no fluke. Uh, it, it wasn't uh, from an absolute perspective. For, for me, from my personal perspective, I, I had no idea how I ended up there really. Right. But, um, but I did and it was good. And so I stayed. I, I mean, my calendar was pretty open. I didn't have anything <laughs> like holding me down or, or pulling me in any direction. So I, so I stayed there and I became a monk. It was, a, it was an easy decision because I'd already given up everything. So the whole thing was quite, kind of just arranged for me. Yeah, so, so I stayed there for a number of years. How many years did you? About seven years. I, I stayed there. Oh, seven years. Seven years. And then as the years went, I, I began being like invited to come to the West and talk about those experiences. Well, b before you tell us about that, yeah, sure. can you enlighten us mm -hmm. with a few nuggets from your stay in India, from your time as a monk see, in see, the yeah. ashram and the monasteries in India? See, what happens, like mentally, is it's like, it's like you walk out of time. It's like time disappears. Every day is the same. You get up super early. I would get up like between 2 and 3 a.m. in the morning. I would meditate for two hours before I did anything else. Then there were some prayers and some rituals. And all of that just makes your consciousness very clear and your mind becomes very tranquil, very calm. And you stop thinking about time. And then a curious thing happens is that suddenly you realize, wait a minute, I'm happy. It's not like, it's very subtle thing. It, it, for me at least, I was happy for quite a while before I realized, wait a minute, I'm totally happy here, <laughs> right? Because happiness is a very subtle thing. Happiness crept up on you. It crept up on me. I didn't know it, it, it was happening, but, but as I let go of uh, ambition and the desire for like social prestige and material acquisitions and all these things, I realized that, that actually I'm happy and that these things that I usually, or in my previous life you could say, was chasing in order to be happy, they're actually getting in the way. Because the consciousness, my consciousness is by nature happy. So when I stop wasting my consciousness on all these external things, then I can use it on experiencing that happiness which is already inside me. And it was a very curious thing. So, so naturally when that happens, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stay here. You right. know, I'm, this is good. You know. and, and so you did. So I did. Yeah, yeah. Seven years. Yeah. yeah. Any, any encounters that have stayed in your memory? Any significant epiphanies um, during that time in India? A mystical land of yeah, space. it's it is it is quite mystical. Like um, <laughs> there there are things. Uh, it's a land of contradictions, it, right? It, it is a it is it is a very strange place, actually. Like there are funny things, but what you uh, usually would maybe consider a bit mundane, but like the weather. There there's funny things like when when um, when winter comes, it it gets so foggy there that actually the fog 
condenses on the trees, so it rains under the trees. Usually you would go <laughs> under a tree to get out of the rain, but here, when you get under a tree, it rains from the tree because the fog is so thick. Um, you would have sometimes the sunset would have the sun projecting its rays up on the clouds and then reflecting them back down on the ground because the sun is setting all the rays are like on, of the red uh, nuances and everything was bathed in, in pink light. And it's like uh, things that you don't experience in, in the West. It's, it's quite curious. And then, of course, there are uh, the people you meet there are so at ease, in a sense. Like, Why do you think that is? Because poverty the, is. Because poverty is. Right. They are right. poor and they don't have money. Very, most. Uh, most everything functions on kind of a barter principle. Well, I have a cow, you have a field of land, so we swap. You get some milk, I get some vegetables. And that takes away a lot of stress, because a lot of our stress is actually based on this quantity thing of how much money can I get for this, and you get into the whole you know negotiation thing. And, and when that is gone, and you don't really... You know, that, why would they become architects? They, they live in, you know, straw huts. Right. They don't really need education. So that whole uh, principle of, of getting good grades and career, that's also gone. So they're living very, very close to nature. And they're living very, very much from day to day. And then they live in extended families. That also helps. Because we live in, like, very secluded. Right. And that means there's always someone around. So, so socially they function very well and because they don't have this idea that society will take care of us, they take care of each other, they know they have to. So they're very connected, mm -hmm. that's the thing that sometimes in our society, in our modern fast-paced society, we sometimes feel disconnected. Just before coming here, I was on the tube in, in London. And everyone's kind of looking into the ground or into their phone <laughs> or nobody's really interacting. No. So it's easy to kind of get this feeling that, you know, you're alone among strangers. You're uh, in a right. crowd of people, but you're completely, completely alone. alone. Yeah. yeah. So they don't have that. And it's funny, like, sometimes they would ask me, you see a, a six foot seven tall white monk. That's not, that's a bit of a rare thing in that area. Yeah. So they would like to talk to me and they wanted to know about the, right. the West and they think it's impressive and amazing. And so sometimes I would uh, start explaining to them about, well, first of all, I would tell them how much a bottle of water costs. Then suddenly it was not so attractive anymore because it's like a huge sum of money for them. They don't right. make that kind of money in a month. Um, but then I start talking about like, well, we have such a thing as like depression. And they would be confused about it. They wouldn't actually often understand what I, what I was talking about. They would ask like, why are you like that? You know, so, so they don't understand this feeling of disconnect. Right. So you may say, from a Western perspective, they're not free because they can't decide what they want to do with their life. But from a different perspective, they are free because they're always connected. And whatever problem comes up, because we all have problems, there's a simple solution to it. That's usually when you see depression and anxieties because you have a problem. You don't actually know what to do about it. Right. And here it, you're talking about societies where certain psychological 
dis disorders or ailments are almost non-existent. It pretty much as I mean, I haven't made statistical studies of it, but that was my experience. My first-hand experience was they laugh more than we do. Right? Wow. They're more they're more at ease. Uh, that was my experience at least. And that counts for a lot. I mean, not for nothing. I mean, laughter is uh, a symptom of in in many ways of being happy. It it right? is right? A, a sense yeah. of ease, as yeah. you say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So yeah, so it's 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 a simple life. And, and I mean that in a very good way, because we have a tendency to complicate things. And I, I saw a way of life that was very simple. Well, such, say, talking on that, didn't I read somewhere that your guru had a, has a, had a saying that life should be about simple living and high thinking? Exactly. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, exactly. Because Concept? The, well, you have an external and an internal world, right? So your external world, that's your simple living. Make that simple. Make it, make it, uh, don't spend too much time on it. We tend to make it very complicated. And when we do make it complicated, that means we spend a lot of energy thinking about that. So when we make it simple, that means we can spend our energy, mental energy, on higher thoughts. Thoughts about how, how am I a good person? You know, am I a good person? Or... Uh, you know, s simple things of what can I do for if there's someone I like to, to actually please that person because my external world is simple. I don't spend too much energy on that. So it, it releases a lot of energy, you know. Uh, that we, we waste a lot of energy on, on our material life. Right? right, and not just physically, right? A lot of mental energy that is what dissipated, I'm talking, right? Yeah, that totally. is what I'm talking about because physical energy, many of us, we sit in front of a computer screen all day. It's not like a lot of physical energy. Like when I was saying, when I came here, I came by train. It's not like I have to walk the whole way. So, but it's mental energy. That's what takes it out of us. I remember one time I was sitting uh, and I was eating and at, a, at a small, like one of these street kitchens. And this guy comes on a bicycle, and on the bicycle, I counted 14 bags filled with vegetables. That was his job. He traveled around to these places and sold them vegetables. And when I saw him, I thought, oh my God, I'm glad that's not my job. But as I'm looking at him, I, I'm eating my food, and I'm, I'm looking at this guy, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, it's not hard for him. It would be hard for me because I would be using a lot of mental energy on keeping the balance of the bike and how much do I get for this cauliflower and all this because it's not, I'm not used to that environment. Right. But for him, he'd been doing it for 20 years. It was just his job. So, so he didn't actually spend a lot of it's mental energy. ABC. Yeah, it's just natural. It's just what you do. So I realized that, no, it's, not, it's actually not hard. It would be hard for me because it's... Mm. And that's the problem. The problem is the mental energy. That's what wears us down. It's not the physical energy because people, they go deliberately pay money to go to the gym to spend physical energy. And we know from studies that it actually has like a meditative effect on us to, to use our body and, 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 you know, use energy physically. So that's not the problem. The problem is the mental energy. Right. So that's why simple living, high thinking. That's what makes us feel like there's uh, meaning in our life right wasting mental energy yeah that's yeah, such that, a yeah. energy leaks mental energy leaks mm. i think is such a topic that's a topic in its own right it, maybe we should do a show on that actually we know, can do a whole the, the, you know the curse of mental energy leaks because we're always dissipating right 
when you when you start worrying, you're sapping your mental energy. When you start getting jealous, you're sapping mentally. When you're finding it hard to forgive somebody who's done something wrong, and we had a guest on recently, Mahatma, and um, he talked about this. Um, Michael went into great detail about this. That the harder you find it to forgive somebody, the more you're sapping your own mental energy because you're putting right. energy somewhere where it's not actually reciprocating. You're not getting a return on investment. Right. And that is the problem when you have a society that is based fundamentally on enjoyment, which our modern society is. It's all about enjoying right. various things. Uh, money, sex, alcohol, whatever it is, enjoy yourself. And we think that makes us happy, but it doesn't. It actually does the opposite. Because we're thinking transactionally always. What can I, like, I'm sitting here with you, what am I getting out of it? Right? And that creates this feeling of disconnect, you know? So, so when you have, when you f flip that around and start to think about, okay, what good am I? If I'm in this room and I'm talking and there's a recording device, what's the value of someone listening to that? If I put my focus on that rather than how smart can I sound or, or how much social prestige can I get out of this, then suddenly when you flip that around, suddenly it becomes easier and easier. Mm. Whereas as long as you're thinking how much can I get out of it, it becomes harder and harder. So you have two options. Anger and greed, basically. If you don't get what you want, what you expect from it, you get angry because your expectations are not met. Right. Or you get what you want and you become greedy because now you just want more. Now that becomes the benchmark and next time you want more and you want more. And we know it's, it's a standard reaction, right? So, so damned if you do, damned if you don't. Right. right? You either get what you want and it just, it's a problem or you don't get what you want and yeah. it's also a problem. So, right. so it doesn't, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a practical thing. It's just a fact of life. That attitude of, I want to enjoy, I want to be the center of attention. It cannot work. It, it can't, it certainly can't be sustained. Exactly. And it, it may, yeah. it, it, it'll, it'll go for a while, but then you can't stay in that position. That's, right? that's a more precise way to say it. It's yeah. temporary. And, and, and the, yeah. the bill is bigger bill than is the bigger. payoff. Yeah. I love that, yeah. The bill is bigger than the payoff, but we, that penny needs to drop, right? It, it, it does at some point. It's just the problem is we're kind of stubborn. So, so like we were saying before, you try this way, you try the other way, and that, and that was what happened to me, actually. I tried all the ways to enjoy the world. And you and, had your fair share, right and, up to your Oh, yeah, 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 I did, definitely. I, I succeeded, but in succeeding, I also failed. Like you were saying. But in failure was, uh, and I guess, were the seeds of your... That is exactly, as those... Reinvention. Your, as, as those apparent successes, but actual failures, build up, at some point there's a breaking point where, right. where you snap out of it. Snap out of it. And, and you think, wait a minute, it's the principle that's wrong. Yeah. It's, it's not It's not the thing I'm chasing. Exactly. Or it's what the I'm chasing itself. It's the chasing itself. So then you have to figure out what, what am I going to do about that, right? All right, Klaus, so you've spent seven years, and I've got this vision of you living in austerity, in difficult times, but finding a way to entrain your mind to become a fine-tuned instrument of happiness, mm. a magnet for joy, a magnet for happiness, and it feels like you almost had to reinvent yourself while you're there. What happened after those seven years that compelled you to leave India? Right. I'd like first to just take a small step back. 
because you say reinvent myself. I think more accurately, I stopped reinventing myself. Oh, you stopped. Re- okay. And in okay. stopping that, I found myself. Right, because I stopped defining. Because we keep putting on layers upon layers. I'm a, I'm a hacker. I'm a man. I'm from Denmark. I'm an intellectual. I'm this. I'm that. And they're all just covering. So when you forget that, when you become absorbed in something, and you say, yeah, there were physically, you could say austerities, but mentally it was liberating, right? Because I stopped thinking about who I am. Suddenly I could experience it. Do you see what I mean? When you talk about something, that means you're not experiencing it. Right. But when you experience, you can't talk about it. So you have to choose. So I stopped defining myself. And suddenly, I felt I knew who I was. Now, something—that's something amazing. Like, and and so the natural thing when you have something amazing and it's free flowing, it, it doesn't cost you anything. It just—it's just there, right? Well, then the next thing is, I want to share. I mean, I want to talk about this. Is amazing, right? If you found out that you can just go to an ATM and just take out money without you know ever running out. You want to tell your friends about it, sure. And and when you're happy, everyone's your friend, right? So it happened again. It's not so much my decision. It kind of happened just by by nature's arrangement that I had to go to the west anyway. I was going to see my family. It's hot in India in the summer. I'm I'm a Viking. I'm from Denmark. There's a there's a there's a point around 40 degrees uh, Celsius yeah, right. where my body just stops functioning. It's like, so, okay. So I found myself back, gotcha. in, back in Denmark. And, and somehow or other, I was asked to, to give lectures on what, what does it mean to become a monk. It's not, your, it's not one of the most popular career choices in Denmark, I can tell you that. Um, and so I started lecturing on this. Uh, and found out that there's a a different kind of joy in that. One thing is to experience it yourself, but when you see others becoming interested, fascinated, and, and approaching that way of thinking, that actually gives a greater joy. It's back to the principle of acting in such a way that the world enjoys you rather right. than you enjoying the world. So, so I found there was a, an amazing reward in that, even though it's, it's also difficult, you know, but, but because it's an alien thing for many people. I mean, what the hell are you doing, right? So, but, but it is also very rewarding. So, uh, so that kind of increased. And it, it happened gradually. It's not like seven years in India and then boom, I'm in the West. You know, it was like as time went, as the years went, I... I kept in the summertime going back to the West and I gave right. more and more lectures there and started traveling out to more and more places, England, Scandinavia, and North America, and so okay. on. Yeah. So you came to the West. Yes. Tell us about this project that was born in the West. Ask a Monk. Ask a Monk, yeah. It was... Um, it's not actually my idea, I have to say. It's a very dear friend of mine, a, a German monk also, who, who got the idea. He went to music festivals and, mm. and just because people there, they're kind of out of their comfort zone. So he tried to approach people there and, and tell them about 
uh, higher states of consciousness, right. which uh, which he did by by putting up a sign saying "Ask a monk," you know. Um, and so I got the idea from him. I was in Norway visiting some people, giving some lectures, and you know, one of the days I just I needed to get out of the house, and and we found out we came up with this idea that we should do that, try that. Um, what I did, no musical festival around. What, I went the opposite way. I went to the comfort, the material comfort zone. I went to the shopping high street of Oslo. Right. In my monk robes, with my rudimentary sign I'd made out in the garage. Ask right. a monk any topic. I said, just, just ask just, a monk any topic. Any topic in the in the center of Oslo. Yes. Town center. Yes. And and okay. I sit down and and it actually so. It was funny because the first thing that happened when I sat down with my little son, I'm nervous because I'm thinking, what, what's this going to be? I have no idea. The first thing that happens is like a woman, an elderly woman walks past me with a bicycle and she looks at me and she just shakes her head in, in disapproval like, what the hell are you doing? And I'm, I'm thinking, oh my God, this is going to be a long afternoon, okay, right? Okay. But yeah. the next moment... A guy comes down, he starts by proclaiming, I'm an atheist, and I'm sure, whatever. And then he asks, when am I going to die? Any topic, right? Um, and so I say, any minute now. And he, yeah, he th did exactly what you just did with his eyes wide open. Right. And, and I explained to him, well, you know how old people, they say always that it's over in a moment. So it doesn't matter if you live another 40, 50 years, it's going to be any moment anyway. So, so the reason you come over is probably because there's something in your life that you're not completely content with, so you should do something about it now. And what happened, as I'm talking with this guy, two other people came over who didn't know each other, just right, sat just, down. Right. And suddenly we were like four people sitting there talking about life and death and the meaning of it all. What's your purpose? How do we know if we're good people? Do we have like a benchmark for it? Is it just if I feel good? Or yeah. And it was deep deep topics I mean it was really really profound and it was the like it was like the best afternoon in my life um, so I, I walk away from there enlivened like never before it was right. like it was it was the same kind of happiness that I experienced in India but the intensity was much more because it made more sense here because um, I felt like they were experiencing something they didn't know or they hadn't experienced before and that gave me a tremendous sense of of purpose or or the connection with the world so um, it became natural for me to to do that when I traveled around sometimes I would travel with a little sign sometimes I would just find whatever materials I could find and make a, a sign wherever sure and so I ended up taking it like many many places in the western world uh, London Edinburgh Oslo, uh, New York, in, in Times Square in New York, Times in, Square. in front of the White House in Washington, Venice Beach, uh, Harvard, the science department in front of Harvard was interesting. Phenomenal. So, so I, I traveled around with my sign and everywhere I went I did the Ask a Monk thing and people would come and just talk and ask uh, questions about life. And well, what, tell me, I, I'm, I'm, I'm compelled, what would you say were the three most popular or prominent questions right over your journey see that's very interesting because it, and the answers you gave well um it, it comes back to what we were talking about uh, initially 
the topic was very much what is my connection? How, who am I? Is one. Another one is what's my duty? What's my role in life? And then how do I know if I'm a good person? Right. That is that was like. 70 maybe percent of the questions I get and that that's like regardless of whether you're in it on does. a beach in you know in Calif Southern California absolutely or whether you're in you know the heart of Oslo City or Washington it's interesting to see that it comes out in various ways but oh, it's the okay. same because of cultures I did it in Mumbai also right where and it comes out in in different right, the cultural ways. expression yes. of those of those kind of exactly. questions so, may be different but the but the th- but the core was the same Exactly, and so for me, it was a it was a profound realization that there is only us. There is no us and them. There is only us, but we express ourselves differently compared. I mean, depending on cultural background, gender, age, social status, sure. whatever this. I mean, there's you can have a mentality of like a businessman or an intellectual. So you will express yourself in various ways, but the, the core concerns and the core desires of of all people are pretty much the same and that was very very beautiful for me because it made it made me feel very good about the world i mean we live in a a culture that is kind of addicted to media and and media loves attention that's what it is right so the easiest way to get attention is through conflict controversy conflict. controversy conflict so everything yeah. is a war war on terror war on drugs war on poverty the gender war whatever it is is always and they're missing conflict. the one war that actually needs to be fought in. and that war is a lot closer to home exactly. it's not outside in the cities it's not outside in the battlefields of the middle east it's right in these four square walls right in this bag of skin that we live, right? It's the war against our material it's mind. It's the war that's against yeah. our it's material the, it's mind. It's the war against our lust, anger, and greed. Uh, that's the only war that we're actually facing, right? Why, why lust, anger, and greed? Elaborate on that, because I know from my studies of Vedic texts, uh, this, this theme comes up, I think the Bhagavad Gita, uh, I think the Vedanta Sutras also refer to these three things as yeah. gateways of sorts to hell, yeah. lust, anger, and greed. Right. So... First, first of all, like we, we distinguish between love and loss, love and lust, right? right. So love is you, you, whatever you love, you want to make that entity happy. You're, you're serving that entity. Lust means you want that entity to make you happy, right? So the, the, there's one example of, of a flower. Either you pick it or you water it. So if you water it, that's love. If you pick it, that's lust because you want to enjoy the flower. If you water it, you want the flower to enjoy, right? So that's the first thing. That's the, the, the first gateway to hell is that lust. Now, how that is expressed will be either anger or greed. We said before, either you get when you're lusty, either you get what you want or you don't get what you want. If you don't get what you want, you become angry. If you get what you want, you become greedy. So lust, anger, and greed. Right. That is, And from that, all the other things happen, right? All the other what we would generally describe as negative qualities come. That's funny you say that. Let, let me just interject. You, because you said that if you get what you want, you get greedy. It's kind of funny, right? Because yeah. you think that if you get what you want, you, you think, okay, great. You know, I've got the uh, latest smartphone. I'm happy. But actually, it's, 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 that's the irony, right? That's the There's irony. an irony here. It's, 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 a, it's, it's not a, how... It's an immediate sense of satisfaction, but it doesn't actually 
fulfill you. There's no contentment. There's, there's, no contentment. there's a there's a brief sense of happiness of getting it because right. you're, you confirm this idea <clears throat> that I'm in control and everything is about me and I'm getting what, you, what I want. But then a new phone comes out, right? right. And, and, and we see life always finds a balance. You see people who are very well off, they tend to become more sensitive to not getting what they want. If you see a child that's always gotten whatever it points its finger at, the one time it can't get whatever it is it's pointing its finger at, the whole world breaks down. On the other hand, you see people who've lived under very, very shabby conditions. Right. They become very grateful. If they get one little thing that they w would like, they become extremely happy. So it's like life balances these things out. So I sometimes use the, the example of eating cake. If you think eating cake makes you happy... Okay, you get one piece of cake and you're happy. Oh, you're liberated. All your problems go away. You're just thinking about yeah. the cake. You don't, I mean, no bills, no worries. But then cake runs out. So now you have a choice. You want to take another piece of cake or not? I mean, you, if you can, if you have. And then, but it's not as satisfying as that first piece of cake. Fast forward three more pieces of cake and now you've got a bellyache. Now the cake has become a problem. And that That's principle powerful. goes with anything. That's the curse of greed, right? Because you're taking more and more. You become greedy. And you become yeah. dull to and, and ultimately, you are numbing down your senses. It's like an addiction to drugs. You know, you, you hear the story of, of heroin addicts. They're always chasing that first high. And they know very well they're never going to get it. But they can't stop. But they can't stop. So that's, you become that's like a helplessness of. Yeah. It's the certain kind of helplessness they've got. Exactly. So so you have to look at it in a different way. Now, so I I took some time off. You could say I became a monk, and is that's a pretty intense time off, right? But ultimately, I I reconnected with the world because it's not actually about the cake. You can enjoy the cake as long as you don't think that the cake is going to make you happy. So take the cake, instead of eating the whole thing yourself, you share it with your friends. You connect with your friends and you, you make them happy. You make them and happy. suddenly the cake becomes a vessel for something higher. So that's, it's not the things themselves. They're not good, but they're also not bad. It's about how are you utilizing those things, right? So, because otherwise the whole idea is, okay, quit your job and... and Divorce the wife and you know and you'll be happy. No, that won't make you happy either. But look at it from a different perspective. It's not the things that are the problem, it's the way we look at them. If we think these things are here to make me happy, they won't. If you th if you think these things are here, I can use them to make other to people make other happy, happy. That can make you happy, right? That's a mindset shift and I'm yes. I'm not sure if the world is ready for that. I'm not sure. It doesn't matter. You do it on, on your own. On you your don't have to wait level. for the whole world to do it. You just do it and it works because it's an internal thing, right? And you've got living proof of that because you experienced that over your years as a monk. And it was actually, it was probably not even to do with you being a monk. It's not like you have to become a monk to practice that modality, that protocol. That protocol can be practiced if you're a, a busy professional in the city, That's just cool. as well as if you're doing, as if you're family person or you're a housewife whatever you are you can practice that principle in your own environment and i guess that's the key that that is the people whole point. need to grasp that is the whole point you don't have to give up anything 
All you have to do is give up the idea that all of these things are here to make me happy. Wow, and that could actually be an antidote to anger. It is. It is, because the anger, as we know, comes from when we don't get what we want. But if, you're, if you've managed your expectations so you don't expect them to give you what you want, then there's no basis for anger. All right, it's that time in the show. Let's talk about screw-ups and epiphanies. The Can fun, you share? The fun part. <laughs> <laughs> Unveil yourself. Yes, reveal. Yes. Okay, screw-ups. Now, just on a general level, we'll get to the specifics. I'm not trying to avoid it. But uh, on a general level, I, I sometimes you hear people saying, oh, no regrets. I don't buy that. I have regrets every day. Uh, whenever I do something selfish that affects other people negatively, I regret it. And it, it, it's very small and very subtle, but like you say something that's meant to make yourself look good, or, you know, I really don't have time, even though you do have time, kind of. I regret that. And it's, it's, it's just important to understand it's impossible, very close to impossible to completely un, uh, avoid that. But I do regret it. I just don't let it get to me. It's not like I'm sitting, oh, I'm such a horrible... No, no. You just try and remember register it, it, register it, and then try to not do it again. Right. right? It's not so much... It's you, like machine learning, right? Yes. You, you, you're a hacker, you know, machine learning, you know, exactly. you know, a system is fed mistakes again and again and again, yeah. and it iteratively makes less mistakes. Exactly. And, you know, it's a popular statement that insanity is you keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So just right. don't keep making the same the mistakes. Same You're going to make mistakes, just don't repeat it right. necessarily. Now, in terms of the specific, I remember one, one thing that happened that was like very like eye-opening for me is because I, I was giving lectures and I was quite confident. I'm a quite confident sure. speaker for some reason, I don't know why. Um, and at one point, some might say egotistic, I don't know. But um, one time I received an email with, with a complaint. I had been lecturing on masculine and feminine principles, male-female psychology and such, and relationships. And there was this guy who had, uh, he had been very offended by some of the things that I said, um, to the point where he had actually written a very long dissertation of everything that was wrong, like 42 pages with footnotes and literature. This is a serious guy. It's, it's almost like a university thesis, right? He, right? He'd been spending quite a lot of time on that. Right. Now, the first thing that happened was like blood disappeared from my, my head. It was like, whoa. You became a ghost. I, I was completely shocked, you know. And then anger set, set in, of course. Like, who does he who think the he, hell is? Yeah, he and think he by is, the way, yeah. he's wrong and stuff like that. And then I had to learn how to deal with it. So, so I, I, what I did was I, I, uh, I was at a temple at that time and I talked with a good friend of mine. How, how do I actually deal with this? And um, what we came up with was, okay, let's try and find five things that are actually good about what just happened. Okay. So first thing is that it forces me to think to introspect about what I'm right. what I'm doing because I was very confident. I'm just doing my thing and I'm on a higher level and I've got all this knowledge and stuff. That's actually not very humble, right? So I'm, I'm forced to introspect suddenly. Uh, second of all, it brought me and my friend, it brought him and me closer together, right? 
Third of all, because he, he sent it to a couple of other people, like respected people, people I respect also, who then sent it back, sent an email back to me and saying, look, this is just part of what you're doing now. Don't get too hung up on it. So there was also a sense of um, understanding and, and empathy from some other people. And finally, everything he wrote was not wrong. He, he actually did have a few points there that I hadn't considered, right? So suddenly I was thinking and I was developing, I was growing as a person. From this, it, it, the immediate reaction was my ego just goes into like defense mode, right? But that is how you learn how to deal with the ego, is by exposing it to, to this vulnerability of, of being quote-unquote judged, right? So it actually ended up being a very good... Uh, uh, by the way, another thing is I have a great story to tell, right? I've, right. I, I, this is not the first time I'm telling this story. So actually I'm very, very thankful to this person that he expressed himself because he could have just said, oh, who cares? Who cares? Know? He's stupid. Whatever. I'll just you know? go and listen he, to him again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But he actually expressed his... his he uh, took time and effort yes. in his mental space. And, and he, to, he thought about something. it too, right? Right. And, and he was not completely off. It was uh, Some of what he wrote, some of it was, I would still to this day disagree, but some of it was uh, was definitely on point. Uh, that I was quite insensitive. In the, because when you're a monk, you're not in a relationship. So it's very easy to describe relationships. That, but but <laughs> yeah. when you're in it, it's like... It's, it's a different, it's, it's a, a more different sensitive, Yeah, it's a more sensitive Completely. topic, right? And I was not sensitive to that. So So the epiphany that I had the, the screw-up is obvious, but the epiphany was that I can't lose. When I'm successful, I can enjoy that success. That's great. That's because I've done something that works. Right. But when it doesn't work, I can grow. So in life, if you look at it like this, you cannot lose. If you win, you win. But if you lose, you still win. You see, it's the opposite of when you're trying to enjoy the world. When you win, you lose. And when you lose, you lose. Because when you win, you become greedy. When you lose, you become that's angry. That's a mindset. That's a mindset. So that's the shift, switch right? of the mindset that it's not about me. It's not. It's about the world. What am I doing for the world? Am I serving the world? Am I am I serving some purpose? If you have that mindset, and that was a not a theoretical thing of understanding. It was a direct realization I had that I cannot lose as long as I maintain this mentality of being a servant then I'm, I'm winning when I'm winning and I'm winning when I'm losing. That was an epiphany. Beautiful. That's, that's profound. And I think that's something that we need to get our head rounds. But that requires that fundamental change, right? From a I, people and situations must serve me to uh, let me be a servant. So let me be yeah. a servant, and, and and servant is a dirty word. Let, uh, hey, let's not make any clouds. Let's not make any bones about it. In the Western world, even in the Eastern world, yeah, being a servant is is frowned. It's, it's low class. Down, right? It's low you know, class. You yeah. don't want to be a servant. You, no, you don't want to be uh, exploited, right? So, but you, we're, what we're talking about is not that kind of servant. We're no. redefining that the conception of a servant exactly. because at the end of the day, we're all serving in some way. And, you know, whether it's, even if we're not serving, we're serving, even, even Trump is serving his country. So that may... Everybody's be, serving something or someone. And, and as, as a, a, like a generic statement, that's a brilliant example, because who's the most powerful man in the world? Let's right. say the American president. Why? Because he's serving the most powerful country in the world. Right. Now, it's, specifically, may not be the best example 
right now. Sure. But but we can understand the theory. For sure, like, yeah. That that if how do you make a great career by being of service to the company that you're you're employed by? Right. That that will make you progress. If you're not doing your duty, they will not promote you. Right. You if you're not giving and all you're doing is exactly. taking. Exactly. If you're right. adding value to your surroundings, you will be successful. That is what successful is. That is why people become pop stars, because they add value to people's lives. So in that sense, a servant, it's not letting people walk all over you, because that no. is not actually serving them. Then we're back to, you are um, confirming a negative uh, right. way of acting, and they will eventually get some reaction for that. Does that make sense? If it you makes make, a lot of sense. If you yeah. allow people to exploit you, you're not helping them. No. Right? So servant is also knowing your boundaries. Right. That if someone tries to exploit you, you say, no, I'm, no, I'm not. No, because I'm honoring myself. This exactly. is This is out of integrity with my personal belief exactly. system. Exactly. If you want to be of help to others, you have to first make sure you're, it's like, you know, you put your own mask, oxygen mask on first, right. and then you help others, right? Yeah, we go, you go check in and you check in with yourself first. Exactly, exactly. So, so it's a little bit, it's a slightly different way of looking at that term. I'm glad you made that point. What does Klaus Nielsen do here and now in the Western world, roaming from country to country? <laughs> Uh, when he's not asking a monk anymore, um, I'm sometimes asking myself that. But, but it, it's I hear it's, you're a busy man. <laughs> the word on the street, you're you're, you're in big office buildings I'm, doing something or other. I'm trying to keep busy because as, as long as I'm busy, I'm not getting into trouble. Well, it's it's actually a, a natural progression of what we've been going through up until now. That that I found that there's a deeper sense of satisfaction in being of service. So what I'm doing now is I'm developing seminars, I'm doing uh, personal coaching, I'm working on three books. I'm trying to focus on one of them because otherwise, you know how if you chase two rabbits, you catch none of them. So I'm trying to focus on one of them, but I have at least three concepts. And then I'm, I'm giving corporate talks because this is one of the things that is dif difficult sometimes in a corporate environment that... It is a stressful environment and we live in a fast-paced culture where the circumstances change very rapidly. So this ability to take a step back and detach yourself a little bit from the day-to-day from the -day thing and, mm -hmm. and look at more principle. What is my role here? What is my goal here? And what activity will connect those two? If, you, if you're able to look at that from a little bit more abstract and abstract doesn't mean it's not practical. It's still very, practical. very, right. very practical. It has to be. So I'm, I'm offering these uh, things to, to like the corporate environment, and and London is the perfect place to do it because uh, one it, of the most complex cities in the world. It is. It's intense, right? Right. You know, one one guy was uh, telling me like it was a good point. I think that in the in the tube in London, it doesn't say exit. It says way out. You know, because it's like, <laughs> there's this very high level of stress here. So yeah, people are yeah, looking right. for a way out, right? Yeah, absolutely. I remember uh, Dandapani, a uh, famous monk right now, um, who we'll have on our schedule at some point, of course, I'm sure. Uh, he once said, uh, he had a, people writing him letters, hey, you're a great monk and you come up with great wisdom. We hear your seminars online. We hear your podcasts. But how hard is it for you to be a monk? giving out this wisdom when you're living in a monastery in Hawaii. I mean, 
That's not hard. That's the point. And he, he, and, 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 and he, he, he acknowledged that. And he said, you know what? Actually, you're right. So guess what he did? When he left the monastery, he finished his rounds of service. I think it was like 10 years. Hmm. He moved out to New York. He yeah. says, right, I'm going to go prove right. what I talk about in, yeah. in one of the busiest cities in town. And yeah. New York, you, you, you pick London. That was the choice for <laughs> me. It was, it was either New York or London. It had to be one of those two right? because yeah. that is... I've, I've always been a bit of an extremist, as yeah. you may have. Well, I know the Scandinavians the Scandinavians always wanted to conquer the British Isles. <laughs> Viking so, blood. Here's the Viking right here, right? <laughs> so I'm, I'm, at least I'm trying to do it with love rather than with uh, Yeah, conquer with, with love pickaxes. and wisdom. Yeah, but, God knows um, the world needs a, a weapon of mass knowledge. But it's, it's funny that the experience I have is actually that I feel even more in tune with those teaching that I, that I've been in contact with here because there's so much in contrast with the surroundings. the surroundings so I'm very aware that I really have to be on the straight and narrow here because there's so many distractions and that actually makes me more focused in a sense so it's not easy but that doesn't matter if you're inspired we're not looking for easy because easy becomes lazy Right. We're looking for inspired because when we're inspired, it doesn't matter if it's hard. Right? So then it's not a problem. Then it's a challenge. And when you face challenges, that's when you achieve something. And that achievement, as long as it's not self-centered, that's what makes you happy. Right? So that's why I'm in London. I like that. Now you're in London. You're obviously a popular speaker on the corporate circuit and that's great and i'm sure you know we'll get a chance to have you down for some of our listeners stateside uh, in australia as well i know some of our listeners tuning in what in this in your frequent talks what do you have uh, as three nuggets that you could share with our audience three nuggets well first of all you have to, in your life, you have to create a sacred space somehow. I use meditation. That's part of your daily routine. That is, that is like fundamental. Uh, it, it keeps me sane. Um, a, a time where I do not check my Facebook. I do not watch uh, the news or anything. I watch myself. I introspect and I... And I check in with my mind, what is actually going on there. And as I go through this meditation, it's an it's an almost magical thing. All the superfluous thoughts kind of disappear. And what's left is what do I need to do today? Or this these things come, come up and towards the end of my meditation, even that goes away. Does but it does. And I'm just left with like kind of resting in myself. And it's a supremely liberating feeling. And that kind of creates a, like a force field, mental force field around me. So the, world, the rest of the day, the world can just throw whatever it has at me. And I don't identify with it. If I can fix it, I try and fix it. If I can't, there's no need to worry about it anyway. So it relieves stress. And many studies have been done that, that proves that it really does wonders with relieving stress. It, it, it uh, strengthens the cerebral cortex and all of the, all of the oh, so many uh, positive benefits. You can use running, you know, you can, there are various methods of, of meditation. Some go fishing, but make sure you have that space where it's just about without that, no distractions, no it's ambition, just that one no focus. social anxiety, just 
chill out. You just, just sit and be. And yeah, if you concentration. Can, it's very difficult when you're used to having a very busy mind, and you are in the modern. So, but the thing is, the more difficult it is, the more important it is that you do it. You do it. If you have a guy who's like 400 pounds and he goes to the gym, that's very difficult. But that's because it's so damn important that he does it. If you do go to the gym every day, it's not difficult, but that's because you're in shape. So the same thing with our mind. It's very difficult, but that's because the mind is out of shape. It's it's not used to it. So it's very, very important. And that's like my primary. Okay. Yeah. Second of all, try to regulate your life back to the simple living part. Just try to take, I mean, go to bed at the same time every day. Try to eat at the same time. The body likes regulation. It, it really does, right? So, because you, when you're not regulated, you spend a lot of time thinking about where am I hungry, where am I going to go, what, what am I going to eat. Don't waste your too much energy on it. If you see Mark Zuckerberg or uh, Steve Jobs, Jobs, Jobs is famous for this, right? They, they same suit, same clothes every single day. They don't. If you like, um, uh, Keanu Reeves is also. Like he, he has the same suit on every day for 20 years or something like that. Yeah, some would say his acting is the same as well. But well, that's, not hey, that's, that's a different <laughs> thing. But, but he took the red pill. He, he did take the red pill, yeah. That's what so, this is about. So, this uh, is maybe, maybe actually The Matrix is a documentary, I don't know. <laughs> but, but the body likes it. The it body likes it. a lot of resources. Right, simplify right? your yeah. life. So principle yeah. number two, simplify yeah. your life. And one of the best ways to simplify your life is... In, embrace routine. Embrace routine. Yeah. Uh, uh, look at your diet. Regulate your life. Yeah. Look at your diet. Clean it up. Clean exactly. your. Bring exactly. some mental sleep hygiene to your routine. And the important thing here is, if you want to get rid of bad habits, add good habits. The mind doesn't like getting rid of anything. So instead of stopping to smoke, add health. Start running, and pretty soon you'll be tired of smoking. Anyway, I mean it's not that simple, but it is easier that way you add something to your life and then automatically the ba bad habit tends to go right so so that's number two and number three very pragmatic very practical every single day do some little thing that's good that nobody knows about do something good that nobody finds out about if it's a small thing just put a glass back in its place or clean up something or you know Whatever it is, it's a tiny thing, but don't tell anyone. Because when you tell people, you cash it in. It, it gives you a little bit of social prestige. You feel right. good about yourself, and then it's gone. Then you have to keep doing But if But when you don't tell anyone, you can enjoy that forever. And it gives you a first-hand realization that there is such a thing as goodness. It's not just relative. Or it's not reliant on the validation you exactly. get from somebody you tell. It's not something right? you achieve. It's a mind state. And it becomes very, very enjoyable. That could have profound effects because that it, stacks up. If you're not cashing exactly. it in, you're, you're, you're banking it. Exactly. It's going into your exactly. own bank account. Exactly. That is the point. Exactly. That it, it sounds like such a small thing. It is such a small thing. But in time, Power of it, it just accumulates. And it Love has it. a profound uh, change in, in your life in a positive way. Love it. I, I We could just go on and on and on. And I, I know we definitely could. But... Um, I think one thing's for sure, we're going to need to have you back. We're going to need to get you sharing more wisdom. I yeah. definitely want to uncover some truth that you've discovered along the way uh, in your monk life, the difficulties you experienced. There's so much we must touch on. Sure. But uh, I know that it's our time, and i got to thank you 
for coming in, especially into London, into the studio here to be with us. Thank you for having me. Alfie. Klaus, uh, where can people find out more about you? Um, I do have a website, uh, Klaus with a K, K L A U S M Nielsen, N I E L S E N, in one word, dot com. Um, other, I mean, there are, I believe, some YouTube videos. I'm, I'm we'll get your links down, and I yeah, know your books you, are coming. We're we'll, going to keep we'll a close eye on your books. Good, good. We'll probably have you back for that. Klaus, it's been a pleasure. Really, really, thank really you. nice. Thank you for sharing, and thank you, as you said, in your own words, for serving and giving well, rather than taking. I do try. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Namaste. Namaste. Hey, folks. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and as with all our episodes, found something to inform, inspire, and empower you in your spiritual and personal journeys in life. As always, if you enjoyed it, feel free to leave a little love through your ratings and comments, share it with those who you care about, and take your personal and spiritual evolution to the next level by joining us on one of our events, workshops, or retreats. Find out more about us at mantratherapy.co.uk. I'm your host, Prash K. This is Urban Spirituality, and we will catch you on the next episode.